you know, I used to always say to him, like, yours was the first live porto penis that I ever saw. <laughs> you never forget your first. Yeah, you never do. <laughs> this is Melody Kush. This is Lana Del Bay. What's the weirdest place that you've had sex? I gotta know. Oh my God, yeah, that. Get on your knees. Like, oh wow, like that's really how it is in the cam world? I really like it. Sex Tales. Hey, hey, Sex Squad. Welcome back to season two of Sex Tales. I'm Lana Del Bay, a full-time chatterbait cam model and content creator and a sit-down comedian. Hey, what's up? My name is Mel Kush. I'm also a chatterbait broadcaster and a content creator. And today we have an amazing guest who has probably worked behind the scenes behind some of your favorite porns. She's been in the industry for over two decades now. We are today welcoming a legendary photographer, director, producer, podcast host, and so much more. We have Holly Randall with us today. Hi, Holly. Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And you grew up in a household where, you know, you're no stranger to porn. Uh, your mom is the famed hustler and playboy photographer, Suze Randall. Uh, how, what was it like growing up in a household like that? Like, when did you first decide to follow in the footsteps of your mother? So, you know, it, of course, this is obviously a question I get a lot because most of us didn't grow up in a household where their parents were pornographers. Um, but for the most part, it was pretty, I had a pretty normal childhood. You know, my parents were very present and um, we spent a lot of time together. And, you know, we did activities that parents do with their kids, like go to the beach. We had Sunday lunch every Sunday. Um, we had dinner together every night. They read me a story. Um, they helped me with my schoolwork, you know, so I had like a very normal childhood. I obviously, when I was very young, um, I didn't really know nor care much about what my parents did for a living because kids aren't interested in their parents' jobs. But as I got older, um, it's, I, you know, there was never like one specific moment when my parents like sat me down and they were like, look, this is what we do. It was just kind of, I think like an ongoing conversation. And I just remember that I think my earliest understanding was that my mom and dad make, um, pictures and movies for grownups. And that was kind of like the extent of it. And then as I got older, um, I kind of understood more about what that meant. But again, like, I don't remember, you know, there wasn't like this epiphany, there wasn't this great revelation. It was just something that I kind of was always a part of my life. Wasn't really a big deal. Didn't really even come up as an issue until like late elementary school. Um, when, you know, I kind of had to be careful about who I told what my parents did for a living. So it was more about the fear of the stigma around porn and how my teachers at school might react, how my friends might react, how my friends' parents might react. So um, that's when I kind of got the first idea that, you know, what they did was not conventional and it was something that, you know, had to be managed, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like those would be some really interesting PTA meetings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so growing up within the industry and now being a parent yourself, um, how are you going to approach the topic with your daughter? Or is it just kind of the same as when you were a child where it's not really like a hush hush issue, like in comparison to how you were raised, what would you do differently? Or I guess, what will you do differently? I think, you know, I'll keep it pretty much the same, you know, when she's old enough to, you know, ask the questions, I'll, I'll tell her that, you know, mom makes movies for grownups and, you know, once as she gets older and, you know, 
more mature. Like you, so I've interviewed a lot of, um, other like sex worker moms and talked to them about how they've either told their children or plan to tell their children. I've talked to sex therapists and it's really about stages, you know, like you don't wait until they're old enough to actually like go online and watch porn, which unfortunately these days is like 10 or 11 or 12, you know, you don't wait until they find out, but you know, you obviously don't tell them everything when they're like six. So you kind of like tell them things as they get older, you maybe reveal more in terms of like their development and their understanding. So I haven't got it like figured out exactly yet. I mean, she's only just turned a year old, so I think I have some time, but I'm honestly (laughs) really not worried about it. You know, it didn't affect me. I have two siblings and neither of them are involved in the adult industry at all. They're both healthy, like happy, you know, well-rounded people. So I don't think that it had a negative effect on us as children. And I don't see why that would be the case for my daughter either. And it's important to have these healthy conversations too. I mean, it really does normalize sex work because, you know, sex work is work. It is a job like any other. And that's really how we should be treating it, you know, with, with certain respects, of course. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's the strategy, the strategy you have there seems very sound. And I think also, I think also too, like, you know, I mean, we already, we've come so far in terms of like how we sex sex work, you know, and, and I mean, the word sex work didn't exist 10 years ago. So, you know, these conversations that we're having all the time with podcasts like yours and like mine and, and so many other people out there, we are normalizing the conversation. So I'm hoping that by the time my daughter, you know, gets to an age where she starts to understand that like we have society would have progressed even further. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Here's hoping. (laughs) And I mean, you've been in this industry for over two decades now. Um, do you Remember the first scene you shot? Oh yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us about it? Yeah. So, so I started off assisting my mom, right? So I didn't actually shoot it, but it was the first set I was, I was on. Um, and, and back then, you know, magazines were still my mom's main source of income. We had just launched Suzanette. Um, so this is like 98 or something like that. And so it was very new and and really we were still doing just photos. My mom wasn't um, shooting video really. And it was Brad Armstrong and Azalea Antistia. And it was here at, my parents have a ranch out in Malibu Canyon and they shot it here. And there was a red um, convertible and it was like a 1940s kind of gangster feel. And, um, (laughs) so my mom, so I, you know, obviously like I'm a photographer and I went to photography school. So that was very much, you know, my, my big interest. And so I like to shoot infrared film. And my mom was like, well, why don't you shoot some artsy behind the scenes? She thought maybe this is a good way to like introduce my daughter to like being on set. Cause to be fair, like, I think she was kind of uncomfortable with it. You know, it was, it's a little bit weird. Um, but like, she was like, if I came into her eye line, she'd kind of be like, okay, get back, get back. Like, don't be so close. Like, so I was like in the bushes with like a long let, it was very bizarre. Like she didn't know how to like, she wasn't comfortable with me being on set. And I was also like, not totally comfortable because it was my first time. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it, it went well. I don't know where the pictures that I took went. I think maybe they didn't turn out. Um, ironically, you know, so (laughs) much later hiding in a bush. (laughs) I I know. Right. I was kind of, cause I was trying to like stay out of her eyeline because if she'd see me, I think it threw her off her mojo. Um, (laughs) 
So, but you know, and then ironically, like so many years later, Brad Armstrong and I became like good friends and he actually helped me get my directing gig at Wicked. And I used to shoot at his location all the time. And, you know, I used to always say to him, like, yours was the first live porto penis that I ever saw. <laughs> you never forget your first. Yeah, you never do. <laughs> But I mean, that that saying is true, though. I mean, we've talked to a lot of guests and they always remember their first. It's, you know, it's something that is great. But they also develop relationships on set. And oftentimes those relationships are still active today, you know, 5, 10, 20 years later. So that's really interesting to hear. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, one of my my girlfriends that's in porn, actually, the guy that she saw her first scene with, I believe she's now in a steady relationship with. So that's pretty cute. Um, mm. <laughs> um In like researching you and watching your interviews and stuff you have said that scenery is one of the most important things to you when you are shooting um what are your top three locations that you've shot in oh man um uh well it, so they're almost like never like you're so what the one thing I tend to stay away from is like kind of your typical porno house, which is hard because anybody who's a producer in LA will tell you that one of the hardest things about our jobs is finding locations, finding locations that are, um, porn friendly, that are in our budget, um, that are private, that don't have like somebody building a house next door or like a school across the street. Like, you know, there's a lot of, I, I, I've, this has happened to me. I've gone to a location and there was like a school right across the street and like, you could hear the kids. And I was like, yeah, this is a no, totally weird. Like, just why would you even try to rent this place to me? Uh, so, so it's hard, but, um, you know, I like places with a lot of texture. I like places with good outdoor and indoor options. I also like places that aren't too distinctive because, you know, I've been to some houses that are very unique looking like, you know, very unique wallpaper in certain rooms, which is great, but you kind of can't go back there and shoot there very often because it always looks like the same place. I think this is also why so many, uh, porn people prefer these kind of like all white porn houses because like there's, you know, it's more focused on the, on the people and not necessarily on the background. But, um, there was a place out in, uh, Agora, which I honestly, nobody else shot at, but me and Tammy Sands, who's no longer shooting in the industry. So we were the only people who ever shot there. I also like places that are exclusive to me. I like that. Yeah. Also. <laughs> <laughs> um, that place was amazing. It was like this Spanish Moroccan style home and it had this huge fireplace and tall ceilings and lots of outdoor options. And it was super private. Uh, sadly, I just reached out to him again cause I hadn't shot there in a while since COVID. And, uh, he got a girlfriend who said no to me coming oh, back. Bummer. Such a bummer. <laughs> there was another place in the Palisades, which was phenomenal, which had this incredible view of the ocean. So you could shoot up against like his balcony and you would see the ocean behind you and same thing, like tons of outdoor options, indoor options, super private, really beautiful. He also got a girlfriend who put the kilbosh on me shooting there anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> it's such a, such a bummer. And then, uh, either, either where I live now, um, the ranch, my mom's ranch, um, lots, very private, lots of outdoor options though, to be fair, I've shot here a thousand times. So I'm like kind of sick of it. Um, and then Brad Armstrong's house, um, he no longer lives there. He moved to the Bahamas. So that place is gone, but that place was, it's very modern, um, very clean, 
really like well styled. And because he's also a director, he would change things around. He'd buy new furniture. He'd like change the oh, walls. Like he'd awesome. make little changes here and there to keep it fresh, which was super cool. So yeah, and smart changes too. I'm sure you know he's mm-hmm. not putting up like eighty different pieces of art on the wall. It's like uh, very yeah, exactly. Time. I mean, when you shoot somewhere that is owned by like a photographer or director or something like that, you can tell because it's designed in a way, like they understand the need for space. That's one of the biggest problems is that a lot of these locations- Minimalism. Yeah, they don't have like enough room for you to put like lights in and then have like the distance that you need from your subject and all those kinds of things, so. And when it comes to location or or even just in general, is there a scene that you shot in your career that really stands out to you as like a masterpiece? Oh man. Um, I mean, there, you know, I've shot a lot. <laughs> I've shot a lot of scenes. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, you can have more than one favorite. That's fine. I've got, yeah. I, I would need like, I would need a serious amount of time to look through everything and pick a favorite, but <laughs> off the top of my head, you know, if I think about like all the shoot stuff that I shoot for twisties treat of the month, um, has been really cool. Uh, my, I think my shoot with Lena Lopez was my favorite. Um, her solo was really cool. We used like these, um, we used a bunch of like, we had black walls and this cool lighting and the styling was really good. I did a shoot with Adriana Chechik recently from my website, um, which looked really cool. I did this actually, I got honestly some of the best photos of my career. I shot in this new studio and they had, and this is again, like great thing about shooting in a studio that's built by people who understand lighting and stuff like that. They built these kind of like black box that enabled you to put, um, these led tubes in there, um, and then also hide them. And so what we did was we turned them purple and so they, and they, they use black reflective paint on the walls. So it picked, really picked up the purple and it made the walls really like glow this purpleness. And then we threw a fog machine in there. And so when the purple light hit the fog machine, it was like this crazy mystical look. And then when I put Adriana right, um, between all of the led bulbs with the black background, I mean, it made her all purple and she looks like she's floating. It's they're really, really cool. Um, if you go to, uh, hollyrandall.com, you'll see, you'll see what I mean. But even Adriana was like, these are some of the best pictures I've ever shot. They were like, they were phenomenal. You can say, you can say they're fucking cool. You can swear here. That's Mm -hmm. fine. I I saw that slip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, Trying to to train myself because my daughter's starting to talk. So I'm starting to like, try to like tone down the swearing. It's not going very well, but (laughs) what I learned about kids repeating back to you is if you don't say a swear word at the end, if you just add it in the middle, then they don't repeat it back to you. But if you end something, well, God damn it. You know, like they will, they'll pick that up. But (laughs) that's just what I learned being an auntie for years and not wanting to not swear. (laughs) (laughs) But back to porn, um, what would you say makes a great porn talent? Is it the ability to squirt? Is it acting skills? Is it, like, is it the connection that you have with that person? Is it all three? Is it something completely different? Um, I think it's, first of all, confidence. That's the most important thing. Confidence and like a real love of the job and a real desire to be there. Um you know, there are some really beautiful, amazing um, models that I've worked with, but you can kind of tell that they'd like 
don't read, like they'd kind of rather be doing something else. Um, and I think the fans see that too, you know, and then like a, a real sense of body awareness, like somebody who really knows how to move their body and understands their angles. Um, but I would say mostly somebody who really just loves their job. I mean, like, I know she's kind of like the example of everything that's perfect about a porn star, but like Angela White's a great example. Like uh, that woman. Yes. Legendary though. Loves fucking like she, like you see it in her eyes, the way that like she just does the eye contact with her performer and she just drinks them in. It's like, it's truly magnetic. It's actually pretty remarkable. I've shot a lot of porn and I've seen a lot of people have sex and there's something really special about Angela. Um, so yeah, it's just that, like that connection and the way that she just like, she just wants to like drink up every, you know, bead of sweat off of her partner, <laughs> like lick them everywhere. And it doesn't matter like who it is, you know, I've shot her with a bunch of different people and she is like, she has something special, um, for everyone. It's not, it's like, there's so no it's like preference. Passion. Yeah. It's passion for the job. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like we we've interviewed several people here and we've gotten that answer a lot that, that it's that genuine it's that authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's great about, you know, what me and Lana do most of the time is camming. There's that authentic connection and you're on cam, you're being your most authentic self. And that's why I think cameras thrive. So it's the same thing in porn. You know, you know, you can get in front of a camera, anyone can hold a camera, anyone can be in front of a camera. But to have that that passion come through on film, you need that genuine authenticity in, inside yourself. Yeah. Do you have questions about sex? Well, we have the answers on Camming Life. From how to deal with jealousy to how to give a good blowjob, Camming Life covers it all. And we're bringing you fun and sexy answers brought to you by the sex experts, cam models. So come check out Camming Life on YouTube today and improve your sex game. So being on set, I mean, me and Lana, we have to know what's the biggest dick you've seen on set. So like, hmm. <laughs> let's see. There's just, just so back many. through my Rolodex yeah. of dicks in my head. Um, <laughs> my Rolodex, yeah. Uh, you know, this there was a performer named Voodoo. He was pretty big. Um, a lot of people don't remember him because he hasn't worked in a long time. So voodoo was like pretty big. Um, Isaiah <laughs> Maxwell is like pretty impressive. I have to say. I'm taking notes. That, <laughs> that guy is a really big penis combined with like an incredibly Aww. gorgeous face. And like, he's such a fucking gentleman. Um, he's definitely like one of my favorite well, people to work so many, with. Like, yeah, he's great. Huge dicks on set. Do you ever get like super horny while you're shooting at all? <laughs> no <laughs> um no I am very much like I'm a, first of all I'm a stickler for professionalism so I'm very much about like I am here to do a job um and I'm really thinking about camera angles I'm thinking about lighting I'm thinking about the time um you know do I have like a hard out is there a time I have to be out of there um you know are we running low on time did I get enough pretty girls 
um, did that girl squirt all over the couch and I have to clean that up now. I mean, there's like a lot of things going through my head and like get it. Like I, I don't have the luxury to like lose myself in the moment. A lot of times I shoot camera too. So I'm not like just sitting behind a monitor, you know, watching a lot of times I'm in there and I'm filming it myself. Um, now there was one time that I had like a little bit I was a little bit more interested than normal and it had nothing to do with penis size. Cause actually penis size doesn't matter to me. It had to do yeah. with the way that the guy was speaking. Um, sure. I really love a guy who like knows how to good, do good dirty talk, who knows like how to be dominant, um, who just <laughs> like knows the right things to say. And that guy is Tommy pistol. And oh, we were shooting yes. a scene where he was played a professor, which is kind of like a personal fetish of mine. I may have had sex with some professors in college. <laughs> and, um, and it was a professor like student scene. And just the way that like the things that he was saying, was, I was like, oh, oh, wow, that's, that's nice. That's very interesting. <laughs> but you know, n not, not enough for me to like get distracted and like not actually like focus on my job. But yeah, I would say that was probably like the one time where I was like, this is actually kind of like, this is kind of sexy. Like, I do understand that audible attraction though. I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. much, I, honestly, I suck at dirty talk. I'm really just not a dirty talk <gasps> oh person, but I love God. hearing a guy like moan and grunt, especially like right before, yeah, like right before he comes, just that, that rawness where it just comes out and you I can't don't control have professionalism. it. I, there's something I love right about now. that for sure, for sure. <laughs> and it's, it's a <laughs> And it's a shame too, because in porn, we generally tell the guys to be quiet because our, you know, we're catering most, let's be honest, we're catering mostly to a male audience. Most mainstream yeah. porn companies, at least like, you know, I shoot for browsers, like we are catering to a male audience and the guys don't want to hear the guys. So a lot of these guys have been trained to like not make that much noise, which to me is a disappointment because I like you also, <laughs> like, I want to hear the guy. I don't really actually want to hear the girl. Um, yeah. I would rather hear the guy, but I'm not the audience that I'm shooting my porn for, unfortunately. That, that's interesting. I never really thought about that. But another thing I heard about porn, you can debunk this for me maybe, is um, like if a model gets creamy or something, they can't have that. They got to wipe the cream away. It's got to be nice and clean or like juicy. Is that legit? Can you debunk that myth or? It depends on the talent. So some girls don't want it to be juicy or creamy because they feel like it looks bad and it looks like they might have like an infection or something like that. So if I see creaminess, I will stop and I will tell the girl and some of them will be like, oh, no, 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 Like this is hot. My fans love this. I'll be like, great. Leave it. But if they're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want anybody to see that, then I will cut and, and, and wipe it. So it's, it's really, it's about the girl and what she wants. Look, I shot a girl once who I'm not kidding, shoved a wow. bottle of fucking lotion up her vagina before she did the scene. She probably so that, did like, have oh, yes. that. Oh my yeah. So, I mean, it was like, it did, it did kind of look like an infection. It was a little much, but she was Personal like, my choices. fans love this. Judge. Oh my goodness. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And like, have you ever been on set and something crazy happened? Like the firefighters walked in or like, I don't know, someone breaks their penis or something like oh that. Oh my God. I've never been on a set where a guy breaks his penis. I, ooh, man, <laughs> that, I hope that never fucking happens to me. Cause that is a brutal recovery. I know a couple guys who have done that. 
Um, oh, I mean, really? I've had, look, if you've worked in porn as long as I have, like you've had the cops come and like break up your set. So oh yes, I've, I've had, I've had cops come. Um, I did have this. So I'll tell you like one of the worst scenarios was I was shooting at this location. Um, it was this beautiful place in Woodland Hills and I got a fucking permit. Okay. Which most people don't do, but I got a filming permit. So I was legit. And the agent who I was like working with was kind of shady. And the guy who was there, who was at the place was like this basketball NBA player. So I shot there two days. The first day he was there, he let us in, everything went fine. All good. The second day he was like, Hey, I'm out of town, but here's the key. Like let yourself in and you guys can like shoot. Great. So I show up that morning and I guess he had let his friends like party there over the weekend. So the house was filled with all of these people like passed out on the couch, like lines of cocaine everywhere, fucking bottles of vodka everywhere. Just like people like passed out all over the floor on the couch everywhere. Like it was so still an after party. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I have to go in there and like wake all these guys up and be like, Hey, I'm shooting a porn here today. Like I rented this place. Like, can you leave? It was so They're like, fucking no, I awkward. Want front row seats. Like, so they all left finally. Right. And then I'm like starting to shoot the pictures. And then this guy comes in with like this old couple and I'm like, who are you? And he's like, who are you? And, and there, and these, this couple's like, what's going on here? So he was a realtor who was showing the house to this old couple because <sighs> the owner of the location oh, no. was not the guy who rented it to me. That guy, <gasps> the NBA player was renting it from the location owner and never told him that he was letting me shoot there. So the realtor freaks out, calls the owner. The owner calls the guy that this, this basketball player who denies knowing who I am or how I got in. So he tells me that he's calling the police because I'm trespassing and like, basically I'm going to get arrested. Rude. Oh, oh my God. I have a filming permit, right? Yeah, so that's I'm like, right. So you have a permit and I have a permit. Have- permission and, and a I permission, but the guy lied and said that he didn't know who I was. So we packed up our shit faster than I've ever packed up my shit in my life. And we took off before the cops came. But yeah, that was like one of my worst experiences, you know, and, and every time people always ask me, they're like, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you on set? It always has to do with locations. It always has to do with like creepy location owners, shady location owners, fucking like cops showing up. Like it's never like anything fun. Like we broke the bed. It's something like that. Yeah, I definitely have friends who, you know, rented Airbnbs and then like one o'clock in the morning, the cops show up and they're right in the middle of a shoot, like dildos all over the place and stuff. Um, It is. It is very difficult. I don't think people realize how hard it is just to rent a location as an independent creator or even as a studio, like as a professional. So, um, yeah, that's that's a crazy story. Yeah. And you got to be careful. Like you have to, first of all, you got to get location releases. You better, I mean, renting an Airbnb, they need to know what you're doing because they can sue the shit out of you. Oh yeah. And there was actually a case with Mile High Media. Also too, you got to be careful of artwork in the background. I mean, I know we were talking Mm -hmm. about that, that picture that was up. So there was a case for Mile High Media where, um, this, this, uh, director rented out a place again, not the, not from the owner, but from somebody who was renting the place from the owner. The owner's artwork was in the background, like all her original artwork. It's in the porn movie. And like, I think 
like five years wow, later, they're still like insane. in a lawsuit. Oh goodness! Yeah, <laughs> I know. So Sorry, this is like the, probably though. the unsexiest porn story you've <laughs> no, ever heard. No, Very this is, unsexy. I'm so get your releases. You have a side of sex work that like nobody ever hears about. So I find it interesting, but. You've talked about crazy things that have happened on set. Yeah, very much. But what is the craziest place that you have had sex? <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I'm going to disappoint you again. Mine, like, well, it's better than story. all of yours. So Mine isn't that great either, just to be fair. Because, um, oh, man. I can't even think. It's, I mean, like, my car. Like, that's not... That's not exciting at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely like, like have never had sex like, you know, on the Eiffel Tower, or, like out <laughs> in some crazy public place. Like I'm not, I'm not that interesting. Well, public sex is also something that you have to be very, very careful about oh, yeah. that a lot yeah. of people don't realize. Like, you know, it's that's you, you, you can't more and more. You just can't do that. Or if you do, you can't, you shouldn't talk well, about, about it. What about the craziest yeah. place really. that you have mm-hmm. filmed mm-hmm. people having sex? <laughs> like on the edge of a cliff or one of our guests said that she was fucking somebody inside of a volcano or something. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Actually, someone, um, someone your mother used to work with a lot actually was uh, Tara Patrick. Oh, oh, that was probably for her digital yeah. uh, playground oh, movie. I think they shot in like <laughs> Fiji or something like that. Um, Terra, Dice, I think, or something like that. It. Yeah, I know way too much about everything in this industry. Yeah. I'm like, I know that movie. Um, yeah, sadly I didn't have those kinds of budgets where I could like go to Fiji and shoot. Um, I mean, I, I used to fly to like Costa Rica and Mexico for playboy, but that wasn't sex. That was just like nude photography stuff. So, um, but yeah, in terms of, I mean, Scenes are difficult, right? Because like a boy girl scene or a girl girl scene, like sex is kind of hard to hide. And I'm not somebody who's willing to like go out and shoot like on the beach, like on a public beach, but like hide it, you know, and like chance being caught. That's just not worth it to me. Um, but when I, if, if, I mean, if we can take the scene and say like a solo girl, like shoot for Playboy, when I, uh, went to Playboy, I, I have a friend out there who, um, is like, gets me like a permit from the Mexican government to allow me to shoot in public. I don't know how the fuck he does it, but I shot Chloe Ture and, um, Stephanie Knight in the, we literally like shut a town down and we shut off all the the streets and we closed down the street in the middle of a town. It was like a small little town. And we shot these two girls in this like pictorialian video in the middle of this town in Mexico. And there was just people everywhere watching and the cafes watching thank god the girls were like super cool about it and like didn't care because i think that would unnerve some people but was that yeah, part of the that plan was like, to have all those people around or did that just kind of happen no it just i mean when you shut down a street in the middle of a mexican town to shoot two hot naked chicks like people are gonna <laughs> find a way to watch you know what i mean <laughs> like i can't stop people from climbing up on the roof like what am i gonna do <laughs> <laughs> well that's uh that's that's pretty honestly i mean i would love nothing more than to shut down a town to shoot some porn that sounds like fun to me <laughs> yeah it was great but those shoots in mexico were pretty epic all right well uh touching on your more romantic side opposed to crazy side um you have a partner um so do you believe in love at first sight no 
Well, okay. So that's, that's not true. I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's different for everybody, right? Um, I am, I'm the kind of person who I need to get to know you first. Like I'm, for me, what attracts me to somebody is definitely not how they look. It's about so much more than that. It's about their character. It's about the way they carry themselves. It's about that chemistry, which I feel like takes a little while to evoke, you know? Um, I went on my first, it's funny actually. Cause when I went on my first date with him, I was like, yeah, I like this guy. He's okay. And then like, as we were talking, I think it, as we were like texting back and forth, I kind of like thought he was obnoxious. <laughs> he didn't have, you know, some people just like, don't have good, I don't know. They're just not great texters or they're like, they're different in texting or on social media than they are like in person. Totally. Um, and I think he was like trying to impress me and I was just like not into it. And then <laughs> we went on like a couple more dates and I was very like iffy about it. And I was like, mm, I don't know about this guy. Um, but then, you know, uh, obviously he grew on me <laughs> and we've been together for <laughs> over five years and we're married and we have a daughter and I love him more than I've loved anybody else in the world. But it took me, it took me a minute. I think a big part of it honestly was like when I first met him, I really thought that he was like pretending to be somebody he wasn't. Cause you get that in LA so often, right? You know, he, he was pretending to be this kind of chivalrous guy and that he was, you know, was this and that, and he cared so much. And I remember like on our second date, he like That's made so me pasta cute. from scratch, which I <laughs> thought was really weird. And I was like, why are you putting so much That's effort into romantic this? As hell. Yeah. But see, That's for me, romantic. it's like, that put me on guard. I was like, mm. and then he didn't want to have sex with me. Cause he said he thought I was really special and like, we should wait. And I was like, okay, you have a micro penis, don't you? There's something wrong with you. <laughs> There's something very wrong with you. <laughs> Cause I was like, why would you not have sex with me on the first date? Like who does that? Who says no? You know what I mean? When the girl's pushing for it, like they're like, I'm, you want to wait? Cause I love I'm special. Like thought. what the You're, fuck is that bullshit? <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I was like, there's something wrong with you. Um, but it turns <laughs> out like he really meant it. Like he really did Turn think I was special and he wanted to yeah. wait and make it special. And I'm just so jaded. I think especially because of the industry that I work in, like I'm not used to that kind of behavior. And I just thought he was like Aww. full of shit. Um, but turns out he wasn't. Oh, <laughs> that's really sweet. So he doesn't sound like he's the kind of guy that would like jump in on like a 10 person gangbang on like one of your sets or something. No, no, <laughs> um, but he's, he's like, very, he yeah, he's very like a one, much a one woman man. He's very like, authentic and honest and he's exactly like <laughs> who he was when I first met him it's it's weird oh that's very sweet yeah and and I mean on the topic of gangbangs how hard is it to direct a gangbang I feel like with oh, all those God. bodies like it must be a nightmare <laughs> yes it is okay so before you even get to the sex it's funny I actually I had a great segment with Lisa Ann on my podcast about this about because I shot um I think I've shot like two of her gangbangs or maybe only one Anyways, we were talking about the logistics of gangbangs. So before you even like, you know, get on set, right? You got to book all the talent. So you got to make sure that, you know, you have like good male talent, you know, that's solid, that are all available on the same day because good male talent is booked out a lot because good male talent is hard to come by and they're in demand. 
Not only that, it's actually more important that the guys in the gangbang like each other than if they like the girl. Because if there are two guys that like don't have good chemistry or like don't like each other or whatever, I'm telling you, it's going to throw the whole thing off because it's like this orchestrated dance and all the guys have to be in sync. So all the guys have to be cool with each other. So then there's that. Then there's like parking, right? Like I, I, I'm serious. Like when you shoot in LA, a lot of these places don't have a lot of parking. So if you've got a bunch of guys and everybody in LA drives, like driving their own car, you got like eight guys, you have like eight extra cars that you have to park. And like, where are you going to put them all? Then there's catering. Like, do you have to feed all of these people? Do you have enough water on set? Do you have enough, you know, they're all going to want to take showers afterwards. Right. So do you have enough bathrooms (laughs) with showers for them? Do you have enough like soap for them? Do you have enough lube for them? Um, so there's all of like those things. And then, um, and then, yeah, when it happens, it's actually quite remarkable. You know, when we watch gangbangs on film, like it's always zoomed in on the girl, right? You almost never even see the guy's faces. You just see like their dicks and like them moving around. But if you, if you pull back and watch it from a director's standpoint, it's really quite remarkable because they look at each other and they give each other signals as to like when the next person's going to go. So you'll see like, you know, one guy will be fucking the girl and then he'll be like, okay, you go. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And be like, okay. And then like, so like, there's like this... (laughs) all this like secret, like, um, you know, nonverbal communication between the performers to make sure that like every guy kind of gets in and gets their turn and that, you know, and like, and there's also like the guy who's like better as the anchor for the DP. Like he's the one who's got like maybe the longer penis or he's better at staying hard if he's not really moving. So he needs to be on the bottom. And then, you know what I mean? So like there's a whole other dance. Like, yeah. So there's like all these, all these little intricacies and which is why, you know, you see in a lot of gangbangs, it's a lot of times, um, the same guys. Cause like they all like kind of know each other and they've like figured out like their roles and like how to, how to make it happen. So it's, it's a process. I mean, if they know each other so well, they should all like get in a carpool to the gangbang and then that would alleviate right. the uh, parking problem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah you bang, get film on the way to big bus. Fill it up. It's like two birds, <laughs> one stone. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. Um, but you mentioned lube, and you know, do you have enough lube for these people? Lube, I feel like, is not necessarily deeply personal, but there are personal choices for lube. Like I know I have a lube preference. And do people ever bring their own lube to set? Oh, absolutely. And and yes, you're absolutely right. People do have their lube preference. Some people want water-based lube. Some people want silicone-based lube. Some people want coconut oil. So like I have a selection of like all different kinds of lube because I don't know what that person's going to want. And so I need to have like several different kinds. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of people like if they have their own lube, they prefer, they bring their own. And then obviously. Um, so you work within the industry and I heard a few years ago, your nudes accidentally got leaked. What was that experience like for you having always been on the other end? (laughs) Yeah. So this is a funny topic because like a lot of people didn't believe me that they leaked, you know, they thought that, like I purposely leaked them for publicity's sake, which I understand, but like, I'm, I'm telling you like they leaked. Um, so what happened was I had shot some photos. I'd had, uh, I'd hired somebody to shoot photos of me. Like I was, I remember I was turning 30 
And I wanted like my last pictures in my twenties. I'd never really done like any kind of professional sexy modeling. So I hired a photographer, um, hired a makeup artist, whatever, did all those things. And it was all like implied nude because I was not comfortable or ever planning to model nude. And, you know, I got more comfortable as the day went on. And the photographer said to me, he said, do you want to shoot some nudes? Because these are your photos, right? You own them. You can do whatever you want with them. Um, just in case, maybe like one day down the road, you'll want them. Maybe like you'll want to give them to your husband or when you're 80, you want to look at them. And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> so he shot some. And when I got them retouched, I sent them all, you know, in the same batch to get retouched. And then when they came back, I selected the ones that were non-nude and put them on my website and the other ones I like saved for later. So I changed websites. So I had to re-upload all of my content and I gave my assistant that job. And I, with those sets, I was like, Hey, make sure that you pull the nude pictures out when you upload these. And she was like, sure, no problem. So she uploaded them and she deleted the pictures from the gallery, but she didn't realize, and I didn't think about it, that the zip files, the downloadable zip files are uh -huh. a separate process and link. So they weren't in the gallery, but they were in the zip files. Oh. So when the set came out and people downloaded the zip files, they posted them all over Twitter. And I was like, I just remember waking up and being like, wait what, like, how did these come out and going to my website and looking at the gallery and like, they're not there. Like, how did they get these? I don't understand it. They hacked my computer. Um, and then I called my assistant and she was like mortified, of course. Oh, and man. you know, I was like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, they're out there, you know, I know yeah. as well as anybody, like <sighs> once you're naked on the internet, it's there forever. So like, mm -hmm. let's not, um, try to like hide this cause you can't. So let's promote it and let's make some money off of it. And so that's exactly <laughs> what I did. And the website ended up doing really well. And then, um, hey. I was like, well, that's, that's wasn't so bad. You know, people, I think, you know, I really, because I didn't have like these amazing, like voluptuous, like insanely looking perky. I don't know. I didn't think my boobs were like good enough for porn. Like I really didn't. I'm I thought they were just, they were like, okay. But like, they weren't anything that like anybody would really want to see like, but they weren't even like, cause I love small boobs too, but they weren't, I don't know. I just didn't, I don't right. know. I just All didn't boobs like them are awesome. I, I was, was like, the guy, I was like do you like big boobs or do you like small Period. boobs? He's like, I just like boobs. Boobs are great. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> boobs are great. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's kind of what I figured. And then, um, yeah. And so then I started kind of like, I was like, okay, well maybe I'll do some nude modeling here and there, like just for myself, for like my OnlyFans and my Snapchat and you know, the rest is history. So. And so, so you did start an OnlyFans. So is this, uh, mostly your own personal content or is it content that you've shot of others that kind of a blend? Like what kind of content do you offer there? It's mostly pictures of me because that's what people want. Um, uh, but I also post, uh, my own scenes that I've directed behind the scenes of my shoots and stuff like that. So I post that as well, but for, it's mostly pictures <laughs> of me because the fans have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's awesome. It's a new little avenue you can kind of navigate through. So it's, it's, it's been a fun journey so far, I guess. It has been actually, it's been really nice. It's, um, honestly, it's like really raised my body confidence and it helped me so much with getting older and, and even having a baby. Um, because, you know, I was so worried about like losing my body after I had a kid and, you know, that people like wouldn't want to look at like my postpartum body and I would be like disgusting to people. You know, I had, um, 
like ab separation. So my stomach like poofs out a little bit. It's not like flat, like it used to be. And I just thought that everyone would be disgusted by that. And like, my fans have been so supportive and complimentary and just like, yeah, it made me realize that, you know, whatever like your body type is like men, you're right. Like you, like you said, Lana, like men just like boobs, like men love, you know, naked women. And I think that we are so, you know, we judge ourselves so harshly. And I think also we judge each other pretty harshly. And especially, you know, having been a, a photographer and a director, I mean, you know, like my job is to, sh when I shoot a girl is to find her flaws and do my best to like hide them or minimize them. Right. That's what makes me good at my job. But then when that I, that critical eyes turn back on myself, like that's really hard on me. So it's really like helped me accept um, how I look and like love myself for who I am. And so I'm like super grateful for it. That's super beautiful. And I do think that that is a really like so great. untalked about part of sex work. There's so much like, oh my God, sex work is for broken girls, this, that, blah, blah, blah. You don't have any confidence. But the confidence that you get from being a sex worker is immense. Like body confidence, like I don't know. It's just, it, that was one of the most surprising aspects of sex work for me as well, was how much it boosts your confidence. You would think being naked all day, you would be more insecure, but it actually makes you more comfortable. And I think that that's so cool. And also like all your, like, I mean, we're putting all our flaws on display for millions of people around the world to see. And then when those flaws are are met with, you know, compliments and, and validation, it's like they, the, they, the word flaw just kind of melts away. Jumping back into things, um, this one was personal for me because I'm also clean and sober. Um, you talk about sobriety. Um, what was that like? Um, kind of like going through work uh, with the pressure of the industry and everything, maybe parties, people around you doing drugs or drinking um, while being in recovery. Did you feel like there was a lot of peer pressure um, towards you to continue doing that? Or did you receive a lot of support from your peers for your recovery? So that's a great question. And I remember when, so I've actually gotten sober twice. I got sober once back in like 2008 and then I was sober for seven years and then I relapsed and I like struggled for about four and a half years and then I got sober again and I've been sober for about three and a half years now. So thank you. So that, that first chunk, um, the first time getting sober, that was like, they were both very difficult in their own way. But so that was my introduction to recovery for the first time. And I remember telling my therapist being like, I can't do this. Like nobody in my industry is sober. Like nobody's sober. How can I go to like AVN and all of these things and like be sober? Like this is possible. I'm not going to have any support. Nobody to look up to. And she said, you know, you'd be surprised. She said, there's sober people in every industry. People just may not necessarily like advertise it. She said, but they're there, I promise you. And so I ended up in, I ended up checking myself into rehab and like long, boring story, but I had had this like very regrettable affair with a very popular blogger at the time named Luke Ford, who had a blog that everybody read. And so when I got, when I checked into rehab, he found out, um, and he wrote about it. And so like everybody in the industry, like knew that I was in rehab and so many people that I looked up to and admired, 
um, wrote to me saying that they were also sober and that like, you know, it wasn't anything to be ashamed of and that, you know, I had like an amazing journey ahead of me and sobriety was incredible. And, you know, I've been sober for like this long. I've been sober for this long. Like I was really blown away. And then I discovered that there, and, and I believe it's still happening. It's not so like secret anymore. Cause I see people post about it on social media, but there's like a, an AA, a sex worker AA meeting at the AVNs every year. And, um, yeah. So the last couple of, I mean, obviously AVN hasn't happened in person since COVID, but I know like Seth Gamble was, um, uh, like, you know, posted about it on social media. So like, we're a lot more open about it now. Um, because you know, we want other people to feel supported in their journey to sobriety. But back then, um, it wasn't, it was kind of like a secret thing. And so I just remember going and I just remember looking around the room and being, Oh my God, like all of these people are sober. And these are people that are like movers and shakers in the industry. And like, so that was really inspiring. And, um, yeah, it was just really amazing. And I'm sure Alana, like you, you you can attest to this, like sober people are, are really everywhere. They're just not like necessarily wearing like sober on their forehead, but like we're <laughs> everywhere. It, it is true. Yeah. And once you kind of like put out that beacon where you're like, I'm sober, I think that it kind of normalizes it and other people feel comfortable speaking up because I don't walk into a room and I'm like, I'm sober. Well, sometimes I do now, but um, that's because I'm really comfortable with it. Um, but when you first become sober, it is kind of like you almost feel like you have to shrink yourself down to fit in with the other people. Be like, oh, I'm sober, but I'm still cool, you know, and that's such a weird concept mm -hmm. to have to like, OK, mm -hmm. your health. And so it's really cool to be able to just be like, oh, I'm sober. And then you find other yeah. people like that. It's really beautiful. And I feel like in the last few years, it really has changed to where it's more socially acceptable. The peer pressure that I felt when I was younger, being sober was astronomical compared to what it is now. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever gone to like AVN or any of these big conventions, but, um, let me tell you how fucking smug I feel the next morning when everybody else is in line to get coffee and they're super hungover and I feel great. I went to the gym, like I'm ready to go. That's me every expo. I'm like, I'm here as soon as the booth opens. Yeah. What, where have you been? You need some water? <laughs> 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 yeah, forget in line for coffee. Like some people are still in their hotel rooms, like throwing up their guts at like 11 a.m. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, honestly, and those conventions are so um, physically demanding too. So like, mm -hmm. honestly, even if I go and I have a few drinks, like I'll feel it the next day, even if I only had a couple little drinks, you know? So just conserving all that energy is so important on big weekends like that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And your podcast, um, you started a podcast, I think it was a couple of years ago now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what made you want to start this? Is it just because you have like, you know, a roll of, a roll of dick <laughs> of like a roll of dicks of like awesome performers that you've, uh, built relationships with over the years? Was it the idea of wanting to humanize sex workers? What made you launch this project? It was kind of all of those things, but, but really actually the reason why I, I did it was because I was having this kind of like, um, like internal crisis in my life. So I, um, it was actually when I was struggling with getting sober the second time I had been fired by Playboy. Now, now I don't want to like, this is old people who Playboy's changed hands in terms of who runs it a couple of times. This is not the people that are running Playboy right now. This is anything to do with like Holly Rupert or like anyone else there. So I just want to make that clear to people. It was people <laughs> who were working there 
before it was basically, it was Cooper Hefner. It was Hefner's son did not like my work. Um, and I had been their like main producer for Playboy plus for like six, seven years. And it was like, you know, I was really proud of, of my position there and the work that I had done. And they were trying to transition to a different style and it wasn't my style. And I was trying to adjust to the style that they wanted, but it was just like, anyways, won't go into the boring details. Wasn't really working. Um, so essentially they, fired me, but I found out by being accidentally sent an internal email that I wasn't supposed to see. <laughs> so it was wow. like a really like crushing way <laughs> to be fired. Oh, you found out. Oh, you found out. Oh, that's terrible. Somebody sent me a document I wasn't supposed to get. And it was oh. basically, it called me like a bad producer and that like, they had to like, let me go. And I was like, yeah, it was. I'm sorry, was they should be firing the person who misfired that email. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. But, you know, I mean, look, like everybody there is just trying to like keep a business going. It's not about like preserving my ego. So like, I'm not, I'm not angry about it anymore. Um, but that happened, which was like a really huge blow for me. And then one of my other main clients just like kind of stopped giving me work. It was really weird. Like just out of the blue, they were just like, we're going to try other people and we're not going to use you anymore. And I was like, okay. And so this all happened like at the same time. And so I really was like questioning my future in the adult industry. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, nobody, I, I used to be stand, I used to stand out as a glamour photographer, um, but not really anymore. Like there's a lot of people in the adult industry who are like really fucking talented. And like, I mean, the bar has been raised and I just felt like I didn't know if I had a place or I was really like good enough to stay or so I was like, okay, what do, like, what do I have that like other people don't have? Like, what is something that I can, you know, try to, you know, like what could my future be? And I was like, okay, well, I like to talk. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> um, I, I have a lot of like, I have the respect and the friendship of a lot of people in the industry. Um, and I would like to dispel a lot of those myths out there about sex work and sex workers. And I would like to show the world like what people in the adult industry are really like, and kind of like, you know, show the, the human, the human side to, you know, people's favorite porn stars. Um, I really wanted it to be like a real show about who people are, like not about their characters and who necessarily they play on screen. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like we talk about dicks and stuff like that and like gangbangs and stuff, but you know, I've had like these really incredible conversations about like religion and like, do you believe in God? And like what happens to us after we die? And like, you know, people's like mom dying and like uh, just crazy shit, depression, suicide, like all kinds of stuff. And so I was like, maybe I could do a podcast. Maybe I could, you know, this is something that like people are doing. It's kind of up and coming. It seems like the next new trend and I'll do like 10 episodes and I'll just see. And I just kind of figured like, eh, you know, it won't really go anywhere. I'm somebody who's willing to like try a lot of things just to see what works. And it, it worked. And here I am like um, 200 and something episodes later and I'm, I'm wow. still going strong releasing weekly. So, you know, and whenever I think about, go ahead. I was gonna say, it's, it's, it's great that you have those personal relationships with these people too, because you can talk about topics like religion and family and stuff like that. And it's a very uh, organic conversation as opposed to, you know, sometimes you get invited onto a show and the, the questions are, can seem a little personal. You don't have that bond when you're talking to a performer you've worked with several times, like those stories are just, uh, you get more depth out of those stories, you know? 
Yeah. And I think also too, it, it helps that, you know, I'm, I work in the adult industry and I'm here to, you know, try to shed a positive light, um, you know, try to fight the narrative that the mainstream media feeds us so often about how, you know, sex work is, um, exploitative and how it like breaks girls and like causes suicide and like all these crazy things. So, um, I think that, you know, people on my show, I hope understand that, you know, I'm trying to, you know, so often when we do like these mainstream, um, interviews are always trying to like catch you. They're trying to, you know, drive a certain narrative. Like they're always trying to like porn is bad and they're trying to like catch you in these kinds of questions that are like off putting and, you know, edit you to make you sound like you said things that you didn't say. And, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted people to be able to be honest and real. And, um, yeah, I think it, I think it worked. And I've personally been cut from, from shows that I've done interviews for where I saw where they were trying to get with their questions, didn't mm -hmm. give them what they wanted and have been completely cut from the footage, which is fine by me. Um, but I find like more inexperienced, uh, models don't always necessarily see that. So that's what often ends up leaking to the general public. And, you know, so it's great that we have warriors like you out there that are trying to, you know, shed some light on the other side of things that people don't see. Genuinely, every Thank single you. sex worker that I've ever talked to, they say that sex work changed their life slash saved their life. So it's like, it, it's not destroying anyone. It's freaking weird. But... On that topic, in the 20 years that you've been working in this industry, what type of like changes have you seen like come about with especially the popular popularization of the internet and just the evolution of porn, like be it for better or for worse? Oh my God, so much. <laughs> I can't even tell you how different things are now than they were 20 years ago. It's crazy. Um, I mean, you know, I think first and foremost, the, the power of the performers, the balance of power has shifted so dramatically, you know, before the internet came along and, and really before, you know, girls used to have their own personal websites and that made, you know, people like Jenna Jameson really, um, famous and, and rich and, and, um, you know, she became, you know, very self-supportive, but, you know, OnlyFans has, has changed that even more so in camming as well, because before you had to be hired by a director who, you know, was hired by a producer who, you know, was hired by a distributor. So there were all of these levels of people who had to like decide that they wanted to put you in their movie. And, um, you know, if they didn't like you, like you didn't really work again. So you had very limited options. And, you know, I think we had this very like specific idea of like what the perfect porn star was supposed to look like. And, and that's, you know, what people sold. And then when the internet came along and fans were able to like really seek out what they liked, we found that, you know, it wasn't necessarily like blondes with big tits all the time. Like people liked all kinds of different things. And I think what OnlyFans really brought was this personal connection between the performer and the fan, which never existed before. So this like, you know, ability to directly interact with your favorite performer, same with camming, obviously. Um, 
was something that didn't exist before. So now you have like these kind of more intimate relationships that are being built. And, you know, before a porn star was just, you know, like a glossy image on a box cover and you could maybe talk to her if you stood in line for an hour at like some expo, but you couldn't like really talk to her. You couldn't get to know her. And the internet has changed all of that. So, you know, now performers are making so much money on their own that they don't go have to go out and shoot for big brands like at all ever. Like, I don't know, you know, you girls may have never shot for like any of the bigger brands because you didn't have to. My own boss. Like you're able yeah. to, you know, make money on your own and like be your own authentic self. Yeah. I, re- I will boss. say that it was like a young sex worker dream of mine to be shot by you for twisties. When I started in the, in the industry in like 2005, 2006, I used to watch your twisties shoes and I was like, Oh God, Aww. it's so pretty. Oh, it's so beautiful. Like it was just like perfect high quality content. And you were so consistent. Like I just remember you from that era and you really stood out. Um, but I, I, I love all those types. And like, I mean, the industry has evolved a lot too in the way of like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it was probably a more male dominated space way back in the day. Whereas now there's more female directors coming out. And do you feel that yourself as like a female director, do you feel like it was harder for you to make your place in the industry or did the legacy kind of precede you and that kind of helped smooth things out or? Oh yeah, no, definitely. I mean, look, like, you know, I, I'm not going to deny that I wrote in on my mom's coattails and like having her <laughs> name was like, you know, everything to helping me get to where I am today. I mean, I work really hard to like, you know, earn that space. Right. And, and, you know, I don't, if I had just fucked off and was lazy, like I wouldn't still be working. Like, you know, the name Suze Randall isn't that important, but, um, it definitely got my foot in the door for sure. And I think, I think it's been an advantage to be honest. Um, because a lot of times, you know, girls have said that they're more comfortable with a female director, like, especially if they're new. Um, you know, sometimes girls would rather work with me than with a male just because like, you know, they just felt safer. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's different. So I think people are kind of like, you know, it was easier for me to get like press and attention because I was a female where most people like, you know, assume that all directors were men, but like you said, uh, Mel, it's like, you know, if you look at the list of like best directors that have won, like, you know, best director in like the last few years or been nominated or best movie, like it's all women, like women are doing an incredible job now. And, um, you know, they're, they're so like at the forefront of, you know, the best porn that's being put out there. And it's, it's super exciting to see it's changed so much. And even this like trans visibility and, um, you know, people just being more open to all different kinds of like, you know, sexualities and, um, gender identifications. And it's just been like, it's been like a real evolution, which right, has and I been like really the, cool um, the kind of switch of a lot of people that used to be, or still are active in the porn industry now becoming directors. Cause I think it gives it a very organic feel to ha- be on the other side of the camera to know what that's like. I think that it, it, produces some very interesting and cool porn to have been a porn star before. Yeah. And I think it also like helps give you empathy for your subject. You know, people don't realize how hard it is to be in front of the camera. I didn't realize it. You know, I, I, I didn't understand it having always been behind the camera. What really clued me into that was when, um, I hosted a show for Playboy TV and I wasn't performing in front of the camera or anything like that, but like, you know, I had to be on camera for multiple seasons day after day. And I didn't realize how like 
emotionally exhausting it is to like, and if you come to work in a bad mood, you got to like shed that and like be on. And like, if you feel like crying, like you can't because like everyone's waiting on you to get your shit together and say your lines because they want to go home, you know? And it's just like, I, I just never realized. And I think that gave me like really good insight into like understanding more what it was like to be um, in front of the camera and just having like more empathy and understanding that it was just a lot more difficult than most people think it is. Definitely. I see that a lot, like, especially with camming as well. We have like a lot of that, like, whoa, I need some me time. Like you work alone. Like, why do you need you time? You're like, cause I'm dealing with so much energy. But all that being said, um, I would like to ask you one last question. We always end it with what advice would you give your younger self? Don't compromise your integrity. There were, I remember that, um, there were times that I felt like I was pressured, especially like in the kind of the dawn of the internet when people were doing all kinds of like crazy scenes and, um, you know, like the porn Olympics, like sticking baseball bats up their ass. And, and I remember being kind of pressured to shoot like more extreme stuff or like shoot brand new girls and extreme stuff when I like felt like they weren't ready or confident and it made me very uncomfortable. Um, and I think, you know, and before it, the culture wasn't about like being concerned about how the model felt and, you know, if she was really like mentally prepared for the scene or, or, or up for it at all. And it was about like getting the job done. And, and, you know, like if you could get a boy girl on a hot new chick, like who cares if she's like, doesn't really want to do it. Like you have that first scene. And, um, I think people are a lot more considerate now, about how the performer is feeling. <clears throat> and I think, you know, the balance of power that I talked about earlier with the OnlyFans and girls being financially independent now has really driven that. And so, yeah, all of those times that, that I felt pressured to kind of push the envelope in ways that I was uncomfortable with, um, you know, looking back now, like I didn't have to do that. Like in the end, you know, the fact that I really tried to, you know, work with integrity and create a safe space for people to do what they're comfortable with has, is, is what I'm all about now. And, um, I feel like that's, that's what people want. So come chat with me and all my friends on chatterbait.com. We have fun games, tip activated toys. It's free and easy to chat and no credit card required. It's never been easier to talk to models online. Chatterbait.com. What are you waiting for? Holly, we have a last game here for you to wrap up today. We're going to play a little game of Never Have I Ever. So what I'm going to ask you to do is put up your two hands. We're going to ask you 10 questions. It's one question per finger. If you have done the thing, you put one finger down. So we're going to get to know a little bit more on the personal side without elaborating of Holly Randall. You ready? Yes. Here we go. <laughs> Never have I ever sent a dirty text to the wrong person. Oh man, have yes. I done that? Wait, I put it down if it's a no or I put it down if it's a yes. If it's a yes, you put it down. If it's a yes, I put it down. Um, I'm sure I have when I was drunk, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Never have I ever slept with someone whose name I don't know. <laughs> Oh my God, I did that so many times. 
Never have I ever joined the Mile High Club. I have not done that. Uh, never have I ever dropped my phone in the toilet. Oh, please. I've done that so many times. All It's so sad because like all of these yeses are like related to like when I was drinking. I mean, you've shot a lot of these, but let's see. Never have I ever had an orgy with five or more people. No. I never have. Oh, you leave, you leave the finger up then because you didn't do it. Oh, there okay. This feels like I'm making a weird gang sign. You got okay. it. <laughs> uh, never have I ever dated more than one person at once. Oh, I have. And I dated two guys whose name was uh, Ryan, and it was really hard for me. <laughs> a lot of straight. babes during that time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, never have I ever slept with someone twice my age. Uh, yeah, I have done that. No, wait, no, no, so no, I leave it up. Wait, so yes. No, yes, you, no, you put, put it down, down one, one down, down too. God, I'm really. <laughs> you can put down these fingers too. That's fine. It doesn't have to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So I can do this. <laughs> you... Okay. Yeah, totally. Because that felt weird. Um, never have I ever hooked up with someone that I just met within the first 24 hours. Oh my god! Of course I've done that. <laughs> Your husband hasn't though. Such virtue. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think he has, you know, back in his like, you know, college banger days when he wore like diesel jeans and, you know, like bangs was in a fraternity. All right. So you have to put a finger down for that one. Uh, never have I ever worn lingerie as clothing. That would be a no. So I, I put no. it down, right? No, you don't put it down. You leave it up. Wow. I'm really smart. See, so right now, <laughs> I cannot follow directions right at all. Four. All right, never have I ever given someone a fake phone number. Oh, of course. Wait. Yes, so you put it yes. down for a yes. You so, put it down yes, for I a have. yes. Oh, so that's down. So then I put it down. So you okay. have three, so three, three fingers is the final. Good job. <laughs> yes. That was that was hard for me. <laughs> Well, you did a good job. I think that I i don't actually know if I would have any fingers. I guess I haven't joined the Mile High Club, but. Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, well, those bathrooms are like really small, so. Yeah, like we're still like trying not, to find somebody who's saying yes to that question. We're, I feel we're like still it's like not them. all it's cracked up to be at all. One like of I don't <laughs> think that would be enjoyable. I think one of our guests, one of our guests is like, does masturbation count? It's like, no, no, it doesn't count. That's easy. <laughs> you can do that in your seat under the blanket. Exactly. You can mat. That's right. You can masturbate you anywhere, the lavatory. anywhere. Like that's not a feat. Um, anyway, thank you so much for joining us today, Holly. This has been such a long and wonderful interview. Thank you for giving us your time. It's been incredible to talk to you. Uh, would you like to share with everybody where they can find you and your content? Yes. Um, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Holly Randall. Um, hollyrandall.com is my membership site where I post all the scenes that I've like directed and shot. And then of course, onlyfans.com slash Holly Randall is where you can see, um, all the pictures of me without my clothes on. If that's something you're looking for. <laughs> well, go follow her guys, go see her goodies. Um, and thank you so much for tuning in to sex tales. See you next time, Sex Squad. Hey, Sex Squad. Remember to spank that like button and subscribe on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash camminglife. And make sure to subscribe to Sex Tales wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs>